Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We ended on discussing the differences between the genders. And this is especially important for the women also to understand because they are mothers. And so not only will these gender differences make us understand the difference between husband and wife, but it also will make us understand the difference in raising son and daughter. What does it mean? The way they raise their son will be different from the way the mother will raise the daughter because the son is a male and the daughter is female. So this is very important because the woman is a mother and she was going to see many times that her affection and love and care that she gives her daughter that may not always work that same way with the son. And those women and mothers today who have had one or two daughters and thereafter had a son, they will tell you, as in their own, my own family experience, that raising a daughter and raising a son are different, not altogether different, but have some subtle and sometimes not so subtle differences. Many times boys, not all boys, but some boys may be rowdy, rebellious, want to show their identity, all of that was their independence, their assertiveness, their authority, all of the things that we mentioned earlier. And many times the girl will be able to play along better. That was what we mentioned earlier. Their cooperative thing, their relationship management. So these things, and that's why relatively, I mean not always, but many times it's a bit easier to raise a daughter and it's comparatively more difficult sometimes to raise a son. Right? Okay. And you can even see this in terms of the games and sports that Girls prefer to play and boys prefer to play. Alright. Now we're going to be mentioning emotion and psychology. What does the gender of woman need and what does the gender of man need? If the husband can fulfill the wife's emotional needs, they will be happily married. If the wife can fulfill the husband's emotional needs, they will be happily married. What do we see? That there's a few things that a woman wants in her life. Number one is that she wants honor and respect. A woman wants honor and respect. And if the wife feels that my husband doesn't respect me, if the wife feels my husband doesn't honor me, then this could lead to arguments and destruction of the family life. For example, what does it mean honor and respect? It means that the husband should not be lawful. And this is the separate talk once we gave, if you want to listen on the internet, that the things that harm our relationship with Allah subhanahu ta'ala are the same things that harm our relationship with one another. So Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, La takum min al-ghafireen That don't you dare ever become amongst the people of ghafla, the ones who are unaware and heedless and neglectful. So the same thing happens with our wife. That, for example, if the wife tells the husband to do something, to get something, to take care of something, and he doesn't do it, and it's not just once this happened, this is regularly happening. He says, oh, I just forgot, or I'll do it later. He clearly shows that he doesn't have any honor and respect for what she's saying to him. So she will feel that he doesn't care. He's not interested. My word have no value to him. He has no respect for my needs, no respect for my wishes. He is not honoring my concerns. And so if the husband has a ghafal attitude towards his wife, that is going to cause a big problem. So don't think that, okay, you can do it tomorrow. When you do it tomorrow, you show her you don't honor and respect her. When you do it today, you show you honor and respect her. Maybe the task could get done tomorrow. It's not about the task. It's about the relationship. It's not about the task. The task could be done tomorrow as opposed to today. The task will be done, but the relationship will be damaged. 
If you do it today, again the task will be done, but the relationship will be strengthened. This is what, how the husband should think. So we don't normally, we, we, don't, we don't think like that unless we get trained. Right? We don't think like that. We think it's alright, she thinks it has to be done today, I can do it tomorrow. You may be right. <laughs> Your analysis may be correct, it's not that urgent. But if she thinks it should be done today, if you do it today, you will show that you honor and respect her. And many times, not only do we not do it tomorrow, we just keep forgetting, keep forgetting. Sometimes, like I said, then the women have to do it themselves. They end up doing things that fall in the husband's role and responsibility, whether it's some house repair or whether it's something else. They end up doing it themselves. So just like Rafla, Rafla separates an Abd from their Rabb, just like that, Rafla will separate a husband and wife. Being Rafil towards not being neglectful means the opposite of honoring or respecting, means to be neglectful towards one another. And then this ghafla can even end up separating. So this is the first reason why many times the hearts of the husband and wife are hurt with one another because they've been careless. This means careless and neglectful as opposed to honoring and respectful. Second thing that a woman needs is understanding. The husband needs to show that he understands her. Now, what the husband does is he, she's talking and after one minute he says, okay, okay, it's fine. And he may think that he's understood her and he may even be right. He may even be so brilliant that after just one minute of her talking he's understood her. But she doesn't feel understood. She may be, he may have understood her, but that's just half the battle. She has to feel that he's understood her. For that you have to listen to the whole speech. Yes? You may interrupt her midway because you've understood her, but she has to feel that she has been understood. And this is one of the things that's very difficult for the husband to do. Many times the husband does not listen to his wife intently. He's not attentive. And don't think she can't tell. She can tell. That's why she talks faster. That's why she talks louder. That's why she grabs you. That's why she looks at you. So if you divert your attention and you only listen to half of what she says, and you're listening to it half-heartedly, it means she will see that it's going in one ear, it's going out the other ear. That's also not respect. He doesn't res- it's disrespectful. Don't we say that? If, some, if you're talking to somebody and he's not listening to you, let's say just another man, you say that's disrespectful. I was talking to the person he didn't listen to me. He was disrespectful. And that very same word, disrespectful, we're like that with our own wife. She's talking to us and we don't listen to what she's saying. So what is the wife? She feels that I'm his wife. I'm his life companion. Remember now, remember the woman? She's about sharing. Remember the woman? She wants to do it together. Remember the woman? It's about the relationship for her. And you're not listening, so what does she feel? She says, I'm the wife. I'm his life companion. I'm the mother of his children. I'm sharing with him. He's not even listening to me. He's not even listening to me. So then she gets upset. She gets disturbed. She gets distraught. Right? And then when she gets upset and frustrated, then something may happen. Something may happen. And she's right. She's actually right. The husband, life partner means you're supposed to be the one who listens to her. And actually that's her taqwa, that she's talking to you. And if you keep stop listening to her, keep stop listening to her, keep stop listening to her, let's say she's a woman who's working at a school, there may be some nice little A-level teacher guy who's going to listen to her. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't lend your wife an ear, and if she's a woman who works in a permissible way, there may be somebody out there who's willing to lend her an ear. And maybe he doesn't even do it in a sinister way, but one thing leads to another. 
You know well enough. I don't even have to go into further details. You can all fill in the rest of the blanks yourself. So you should listen to her. Listen to her. The same way the man said, remember yesterday, the same way the man said that she doesn't, she's not always fulfilling me, therefore I go somewhere else. So the same thing can happen with the other way around. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't give me a lift. He's not the shoulder that I can cry on. He's not the shoulder that I can lean on. Maybe she'll find another shoulder. Na'udhu billah. After haram to do such a thing. Any woman with taqwa haya, inshallah, will be saved by Allah from doing such a thing. But why do you want to have a failure in your role that could lead to a collapse in her role? We're supposed to bring out the best, the best in the other one, the best in the other party. So the husband must realize this. And he must listen. He must listen. Another aspect of this, I did this for you yesterday. Doesn't honor and respect the wife. That was the scolding the wife in front of the children or from the in-laws. That's disrespectful. One thing is to be upset with her. One thing is to reprimand her. Right? One thing is to, if she did something wrong, to verbally, verbally reprimand her. But one thing is to do so disrespectfully. Means respect means that even when you have to explain something to her, you have to explain it respectfully. Disrespectfully explaining it means she will not listen to your explanation. She will look at that disrespect. She won't hear a word you're saying. She'll just look at the fact that you're saying it to her in front of the children. She won't hear a word that you're saying. She'll just notice that you're saying it to her in front of her mother. So this is also the thing. We cannot have this disrespect. And you know what happens and sometimes the husband does this in a teasing way, mocking way, bragging way. Right? So that what does that mean? You're hurting your heart of your wife to flatter your own nafs. It's a big mistake. <laughs> this is totally against Deen of Islam. <laughs> deen of, all of Deen says that the qalb is more important than the nafs. Prefer the heart over the nafs. And this person is hurting the heart of his wife for the sake of his own nafs. He gets a kick out of it. He's showing that he's a strong man. He can talk to her like that in front of her own mother. He can talk to her like that if he wants to. He doesn't have to wait. He can talk to her if the kids are there. He doesn't have to wait till they go away. He's the man. He shouldn't think like that. He shouldn't act like that. He shouldn't behave like that. The next thing is the woman emotional need is devotion. So the first thing was honor, respect. You can call it attention also, Right? Honor, respect, and attention, and also I did understanding. It's up to you. You want to split those all up into separate numbers. I'm not going to tell you the numbers, right? Honor, respect, attention, understanding. Next thing is devotion. She wants his devotion. She needs this as her emotional need. What is, how do you express the devotion? And then you'll see how why we fail at this. Is expressing devotion means you give her priority. And what we do, and it's not because we're angry at her, the wife, it's not because we're angry at her. It's the way the man thinks. The man thinks, well, she's my wife. <laughs> I can give priority to my work. I can give priority to the person who's calling me on the phone. I can give priority because she's my own. That's how the man thinks. It's not because he's upset with you or he's being betraying you. That's just how he is. So the man has to realize that but if you stay that way, you have to come this way, you have to fulfill her emotional needs. That he says his job has a greater priority, his friends have a greater priority, his, his work has a, his wife sometimes doesn't even appear as priority. She's not ticked in priority. She's not priority. <laughs> right? When, when you see it's her call, you think, should I pick it up? 
<laughs> yes, they will notice how quickly you pick up their phone. They will see that when he gets a call from work, he picks it up on the first ring, and he walks out of the room immediately and goes out for better signal. And me, I'm sending him ten missed calls and he never even calls me back. <laughs> and that's the way we are. Like, okay, that's, oh, it's my, you, you pick up the phone. Why? If you were so busy, you would be too busy to look and see who it is. You look and see who it is means there's a chance. <laughs> right? You know, if you're in a heavy duty meeting, you won't even look and see who it is. Right? When you look and see who it is, it means you may still be busy, but you could take time out, but who, oh, I can call back to her? I can call her back later. Right? Right? Don't think she doesn't pick that up. Because she sees you at home also. Right? This is the foolishness that we make. In our own homes we show our wife how quick we are to answer the cell phone. And when we're out of the home we're taking missed call after missed call and we try to pretend oh I was busy, I was too busy to answer the phone. And you give her eyewitness testimony that you answer the phone in the first ring all the time at home. Allah hmm? So we have to show her that she has priority. And that's real. You actually have to really give her... That's what she wants. She wants to feel. She wants to feel that, no, my husband, when I call him, and she sees it's me. And then, you know, if you explain to her also, she shouldn't abuse that. And you should always openly share also. If you don't pick up, you shouldn't try to pretend, no, I was too busy. Tell her. Then look, I didn't pick up the phone because you always call me over small things. And at work, I can't always take those small things. If I know that you're going to call me when it's something serious, I will pick up the phone immediately. You should tell her that then. Right? You should openly tell her that. But what does the man do? He beats around the bush. He doesn't want to say that word to her. Right? So he just says, no, I'm, I'm just too busy. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Right? And then the day will come when she actually genuinely needed you to pick up the phone or get back and you won't. You may find out some crisis. Something happened to the kid at school. She wants you to pick him up, take him to the doctor. You don't pick up the phone because that's become your other. It's become your habit that you don't pick up her call and you don't return it promptly. Alright? So you have, she needs to feel that she's not on the bottom of this priority list, that she's high up on the priority list. What does a man want? Man's emotional needs. Husband wants support from his wife. This is emotionally. Husband needs, emotionally, he needs the support from his wife. What does it mean? So when he makes a decision, he doesn't want her to second guess it. If the decision turns out to be wrong, right? And something goes wrong because of the decision, he doesn't need her to come and say, you never do anything right. I told you it wasn't. No. She needs him. He needs her to support him. She used to say, it's okay, don't worry, we'll make it work. It's okay, we'll figure out a way to get around it. That's what he needs to hear. The man needs the support of the wife. He's facing too much opposition already out there. He has too many currents going against him out there. The role of the wife is to support the husband. Even if he ended up mistakenly choosing a course of action that led to a blunder. Because when you're in the blunder, there's no point in any way saying, right, that you shouldn't have done this, I knew better, I would have told you, you never listened to me. He needs support in how to get out of that blunder. And yes, he also knows it's because of his decision. You don't have to point that out to him. That's like we said, kicking a man when he's down. He doesn't need to know, he knows that. He knows that he has brought the family into a disposition because of his blunder. And so that he doesn't collapse because of that, when his wife tells him, it's okay, it's alright, we'll get out of it. 
you don't know what a world of support that gives to the husband. And the husband doesn't feel so bad anymore. He feels that, look, Alhamdulillah, even though I made this blunder, my wife, she's still with me. She's still supporting me. She says that we're going to get out of it together. That's when you should bring your cooperative side. That's when you should bring your side that let's do things together. When he's down, he needs you. When he's down, he needs your support. This sentence a wife should never say to the husband that you never ever do anything right. You should never say that to your husband. Just like we gave some sentences yesterday, husband should never say to his wife, right? I can find somebody better than you. It's okay, I can get married again. So there's some sentences that we should never say. The wife should never say this and you never do anything right. Allah Akbar. Right now, yes, you did one thing wrong. That doesn't mean you should say to him, you never do anything right. Then what will happen if you do that, if you criticize your husband like that, then he will turn away from you. He will automatically turn away from you. Second thing, emotionally, the first emotional need a man had husband from his wife's support. Second thing is acceptance. The husband actually wants and needs that the wife should accept him the way he is. Although, yes, our job, the job of us is to train the men to fix themselves, to change themselves. But meanwhile, the wife is supposed to say that at some level, there's some things that she's willing to accept. What does it mean? We're not talking about something haram or against deen or against sharia. We're talking about certain aspects of his quirks, certain aspects of his personality, right? Certain ways he does things. You know, maybe he's a bit crude, right? So she should accept him the way he is. Crude means, for example, you know, maybe he, you know, is not the most handsome, eloquent person. So, I mean, most people don't think like this. Most women think that only women are worried. No, the man also wants to feel that his wife accepts him the way he is. He needs to feel that. You can think the same way the woman, woman can think about to herself the same way you want that your husband should feel that you're beautiful. The husband also needs that he should feel that you think he is acceptable. He should feel that acceptance from you. That you accept him as he is. You love him as he is. And mashallah, many good wives are exactly and precisely like this with their husband. Third thing is the husband emotionally wants to be praised by his wife. Those wives that praise their husband in front of their relatives, the husband loves them. Yes? If when she's visiting the in-laws, her, her parents, and she tells while the husband is sitting there, that, oh, you know, Abdullah was so great, he took me and the kids here. And he's like, whoa. Praise me in front of her own parents. Right? She should praise. She should praise her husband. You may you think again, you're mistaken. Men are not actually. So the, a man will never convey to you his emotional need. That's the way his madness is. He will never let it on at all. But you have to realize he also needs this. He wants to emotionally feel that you have praise of him. What happens instead, mistake many wives make is not they're always complaining. Never praising and always complaining. A wife should not be like this about her husband. Right? I can tell you if a woman communicates to me and sends me some email or somehow communicates and all she does is complaining, I turn my ears off and something wrong here. All, the whole, all the complaining, 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 complaining. This is not an attribute. It's wrong. A wife should not be like this. Should not be never praising and always complaining. Once it even happened, I asked that, okay, is there anything good about your husband? Without, she said, no. I said, no, it just can't be that. There's nothing I can do for you. You're not giving me any material to work with. 
it is hopeless. This is a hopeless case. How can you think like that? Then I don't. We can don't. But I scolded her, right? And I said, "Does he do this? Does he do this?" And very grudgingly, she had to say, "Yes, yes, 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 yes." Right? So this never be like that. That always complaining, never praising. All right? And again, we had mentioned this before about riba. That a woman should not complain about her husband behind his back. That is riba. Yes, if she meant there way to do it. So, if, for example, if you need advice and help from an el- another elderly woman, your aunt, you shouldn't say, my husband did this. You should ask your aunt that, you know, what if a man does this, what should a woman do? Right? You can get that learning and get advice and counsel how to deal with the situation without doing riba, without mentioning that it's your husband, and that's what he did to you. Yes, I can tell you a golden rule. That that woman who avoids riba, avoids complaining about her husband behind her back, she will be safe from complaining about him in person. And that wife who engages in complaining behind his back, she will definitely complain about him in person. And the men know this. In other words, the husband knows that that wife who is complaining about me to my face, she's definitely complaining about me behind my back. And then yes, he may impose sometimes unfair restrictions on your interaction with your own parents and family because he knows this is what you're doing. You're harming your own case. So when you take this policy of always complaining, never praising, you're putting yourself in jeopardy. You're putting yourself in a difficult circumstance. When it comes to children... Sometimes the husband will venture into the realm, which is that of the wife normally, and that is he may try to do something with the children. He may try to discipline them, he may try to educate them, he may be scolding them, he may be playing with them. What you should never say, you should never second guess your husband at that moment. You should never say, no, no, you don't know anything about them, this isn't the way they do it, or you don't know what you're doing, this is not what should be done. Or if he tries to actually get involved with the children, you shouldn't scold him or laugh at him in front of the children. If you think, okay, you should be silent, the wife should just be silent and observe. Later on, at some point at night, when you're alone, then you can tell him that, okay, no, the kids actually like it this way, or you were being too strict on them, or you should have checked with me, I actually already scolded her about this, and if you scold her twice, then it won't be good. Don't do it live, right there in front of the children. Wait and do it later. That will also give your tone a more relaxed tone. It will be more like a comment and discussion. And if you do it right there and then, it will be taken as an unwelcome criticism. A wife should give encouragement to husband needs encouragement. Husband needs encouragement. What does that mean? That sometimes it's a bit different from the support. Support was in terms of failure, right? Or mistake or blunder. Encouragement means that sometimes the husband wants to embark on something good. Good, whether good in terms of deen or even good in terms of the hasanat of the dunya. But he's a little bit hesitant. He's a little bit unsure. Maybe he's unsure of himself, inferiority complex. Maybe he's just unsure about the wisdom of a decision. So the role of the wife is that if she genuinely also feels that this is best for his akhirah, best for their deen, and best for the life in this world, she needs to encourage him. It's a different type of support. I'm calling it encouragement. She needs to encourage him to do hair. She needs to be the woman behind the man. She needs to play that famous role. Now, 
very simple then, that sometimes, even uh, if we treat in a very simple, famous, what they call the golden rule, you should treat the other person the way you want to be treated. What does it mean? Whatever a woman wants, then she should treat her husband in the same way. Let me switch this around, sorry. The mistake the woman makes is that she treats the husband the way she would want to be treated. Now when she knows the emotional needs of the man, no, don't treat the husband the way you want to be treated. You have different emotional needs. You should treat the husband the way he wants to be treated. As the husband doesn't need you to fill, fulfill his womanly emotional needs. He's not a woman. He needs you to fulfill his manly emotional needs because he's a man. So that's why we made these two separate lists. So the mistake that wives did up to this point is they thought, okay, I'll give my husband whatever I want. What does that mean? So they want affection. They give you affection. They want somebody to share with them. So they start sharing with you. And they think they're doing the right thing. They're applying the golden rule. The golden rule does not apply here when there's a gender difference. Don't treat your husband the way you wish he would treat you. Treat your husband the way he wishes you would treat him. Fulfill his male emotional needs. Don't fulfill his female emotional needs. And the exact same thing applies to the man. Right? I already gave you an example that you would like to be independent so you let you give her independence to do something. That's not what she wants. She wants that you should share with her. She doesn't want that you give her autonomy, throw the checkbook at her. That's not what she wants. You think that I'm going to do unto others like you would wish them to do unto you. Right? So the man is to fulfill the emotional needs of the husband. And then when they don't know this and they get confused, right? And the husband thinks, I'm, I'm doing whatever, I, I wish she would do this with me. When I, if only she did to me what I'm doing to her and she's still not happy. But you can do everything to her that you wish she would do to you, she still won't be happy. <laughs> and the wife thinks the same way. That I'm doing everything for my husband that I, all I dreamed he would ever do for me and he's still unhappy with me. Because you're not fulfilling what he needs. Alright? So you can think of an example like this if there's a car that runs on gas. You call it petrol, I think, in England. And a car that runs on diesel. You put diesel in the petrol engine, it's not going to be going to work. <laughs> you can't put the fuel of this engine in that engine. Alright. Some mistake a man says. A mistake that a man makes. is that the husband does not spend enough exclusive time with his wife. Exclusive time with his wife. So you have to make time out, right? You have to make time out to sit with your wife alone, separate from the joint family or separate from the rest of the family. And this is again Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam that you have to take Ummu Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Ashwamullah, out for a walk. And sometimes the two of them would go for a walk. Sometimes he would take us to a place. Right? Why? Because a woman needs her own dedicated time. The husband sits with her, talks with her, eats with her, listens to her. Her own dedicated time. For the husband, he has only one concept of dedicated time. Put it that way. So no, the woman needs dedicated time in another sense, simply where they're getting, spending quality time together, talking even affectionately, being with one another affectionately, so that they get closer to one another. Mistake a woman makes, sometimes a woman makes a mistake uh, that she gets 
overly suspicious of her husband. Overly suspicious of her husband. Okay, before, before I do this one, because this is a long topic. First mistake a woman makes is that when the husband makes a decision that she doesn't agree with, she doesn't follow it. This is a mistake. When at work, if the manager makes a decision, you may not agree with it, but you have to follow it. In a country, you may think the judges made the wrong decision. You may think the Supreme Court issued the wrong ruling. You may have professors writing articles in journals commenting that they think the Supreme Court was wrong. It doesn't matter. Every citizen has to follow it. Right? So a mistake a woman makes, she thinks that she has to follow those decisions of the husband she agrees with and she can feel free to not follow the decisions she doesn't agree with. This is not correct. You have to follow the decision even if you don't agree with it. That will put a lot of barakah as well. Right? And we try not to follow, then the husband will react. He will react. Now, there are two mistakes that I wanted to do together, but when I skip that one, so I'm going to bring back to that. Now, I want to be clear that this is a mistake only when the husband and the wife are innocent and have a track record of innocence. However, if a husband and wife are guilty or have a proven track record of being guilty, then these two things would necessarily be mistakes. So I'll mention them briefly and then in detail. Mistake the husband makes is overly possessive of his wife. Mistake the wife makes is that she's overly suspicious of her husband. I'm saying when the husband and wife are innocent. Mistake the wife makes is that she's overly suspicious of her husband. When the husband is innocent. Mistake husband makes is he's overly possessive. You can say the same thing, suspicious of his wife. When his wife is innocent. Alright? I'm not talking about those cases when somebody was guilty. That's a whole different world that the husband and wife should have a bit of then cautious, maybe not suspicion, but a bit of oversight, a bit of caution, a bit of limitation should be there. So what does it mean? So for example, if the husband is innocent, sometimes the wife gets overly suspicious. She doesn't believe him. She probes him. You know, she doesn't accept anything that he says. She starts prying. She starts spying. She starts denying, she starts disbelieving. All of this I'm saying again, if the husband is innocent. Can you imagine the effect it would have on a person? Just think like any court case when the person is innocent. He's arrested. How does that affect him emotionally? He's put in jail. How does that affect him emotionally? An investigation, an inquiry is launched against him. Remember, he's innocent. How does that affect him emotionally? How is he going to feel about those people who leveled those false charges against him? How is he going to feel about those people who launched that investigation and inquiry about him? It's not going to be a positive feeling. Right? So sometimes the wife makes a mistake like that. Right? At the same time, sometimes the husband does the same thing with the wife. Sometimes so overly possessive. Once I had a case that was from this country that there was some fellow who married some woman and... Uh, Literally, you can say that he, she was imprisoned in her home. When he went out from, when he went in the morning to go to work, he locked her inside. She was literally locked inside the home. Yes, otherwise he said, if you need anything, you always tell me, I'll come back in lunch break, I'll give it to you, my phone's always on for you, right? And he always made sure the whole place was stocked and everything like that, so she would have whatever she needed. But he literally would lock her inside the house every time he left. That woman did not leave her house for a long period of time. Eventually I can tell you that marriage fell apart. That's the end of that story. There's many other things that happened, 
But the end of the story was that the marriage fell apart. Right? So that is the husband being overly possessive. Overly possessive. Alright? So this, these are two mistakes also. And again, this is, I'm saying if the wife is innocent. Right? To lock up, right, a wife who is innocent like that uh, is not... And she had no cell phone. She had a landline and he would check the bill every month and obviously she could call his work number. If there was any number, she couldn't call her parents, not allowed even to talk to her mother from the phone. She's sitting home locked in all day. She cannot talk to her mother. No internet, no cell phone and all landline calls are monitored in terms of the bill will be looked at. That who did you call? To a wife who was completely innocent. And even the husband attested that she was completely innocent. Allah Akbar. So sometimes the husband makes that mistake. Overly possessive. In the case that the wife is innocent. give you some examples of misunderstanding. Right? So, once children were talking with their mother and there was a disagreement with their mother and they were about to do something. So should we do it this way or should we do it that way? So the mother said to them, you should do it this way. Let's say way number X. And then their dad walked in so they asked their dad. So the dad has no idea that this conversation has taken place. The dad has no idea that the mother said do it way X. So the children asked the father, should we do it way X or way B? He said, you should do it way B, right? That was his genuine position, right? And then the children started laughing and they got upset with their mom and said, look, dad said, and the wife got all upset with the husband. I said, but I had no idea, right? I didn't know. This is just a misunderstanding that's taking place between us. And she went on and said, you always second guess me from the children. You always undermine my authority. I didn't even know it was a question of your authority. They asked me a question, I gave my genuine answer. Right? So this is an example of something that, when you listen to it now in this room, seems completely unreasonable. You would think that this could be cleared up in a second. She just has to realize that he didn't hear. No. Obviously she knew he didn't hear. She was in the room before and knows he wasn't in the room before. He came in the room after. She knows he came in the room after. This was the cause of the fight. Such a small example of misunderstanding. Right? So, this is, comes because of lack of respect. This is one of the things of lack of respect. Alright? So, let's go back to some other things that a woman needs. So, what did we say a woman needed? Honor and respect. Example of this from the seerah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. Once Sayyidina Rasulullah was traveling somewhere with one of his wife, Sayyidatana, Safiya, and they were traveling and she had to get onto the camel, right? Get onto the camel. And there was she was not able to climb onto that camel herself. This is after this is the little wedding procession. Meaning from Khyber back to Medina Manawra. The camp that was the journey. And so she couldn't climb on the camel herself. A man has a way of jumping on it and clambering on it, but she wasn't able to do so. So Sayyidina went to her, it comes in the that he extended himself and said that first you step on my thigh and then you step on me and then you sit on the camel. That was the amount of respect. Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. That's the way of honoring one's wife. That's the way of respecting one's wife. And it's an example for us. If Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam can offer his body 
as a stepping staircase for one of his wives, then why can't we also do something like that and offer respect and fulfill the needs of the Umahatul Mu'minim? Then we had example of devotion. So let's show you the devotion of Sayyidina Rasulullah from Sunnah. Remember second thing we told you was she needs that devotion. So Ajib, Sayyidina Rasulullah his first wife, I should mention this to you also, because some of you may not have, obviously it's England so you wouldn't have heard me explain this before. Sayyidina Rasulullah married Ummu Mu'mineen Sayyidina Khadijah when he was 25 years old. And he remained married to her alone until, if I remember correctly, he was 51 or 52. Let's even say 50. Let me be on the safe side. What does that mean? For the first 50 years of his life, he was a one-woman man. That's also sooner for you. The UK people who love to go for the second wife. <laughs> Do it according to the sunnah. So Sayyidina Sussan, if he ever had more than one wife, was after he was 50 years old. And this is a big problem, that this is so widespread in the UK, that people in the UK, they try to convince women that this is completely acceptable. And many times I have to actively deprogram women and try to tell them that don't be so susceptible to this. Why can't you find a man who's going to make you his only wife? Why are you so quick and ready and eager to become the second wife of someone? You don't know what you're getting into. You're young and naive and this guy is pulling a fast one on you. He may be a nice guy. He may be sincere. I don't say anything about that, right? What would you love for your own daughter? This is what you should think. What would you love for your own daughter? Maybe one of you is that stubborn and say, I would love for my daughter to be a second wife. I back down then. If you say, I don't know, there's no argument. I back off if you can say that. I back off. I just give you the general principles. Love for your wife what you would love for your own daughter. It's that simple. Alright? Would you want that you get your daughter married off to somebody and ten years later he marries a second wife? Secretly, the way UK, UK style, huh? Then he marries his second wife, UK style, when he's married to your daughter. Ah, oh, so much again. Hmm. UK style. Allah Akbar. So Sayyidina Rasulullah was married to Umm Mu'mineen Sayyidina Khadijah radiallahu ta'ala anha. Then later on, he got married to Sayyidina Aisha and he had so much love for her. So much love for her. And what happened one day, he was sitting in his home. And he heard the voice of a woman. Voice of a woman. So he asked, he was sitting in the inner chamber and he heard from the outer chamber a voice of a woman and her voice resembled Khadija. So he called out and said, Aisha, Aisha, Khadija has come. And she said, no, no, her sister has come. And because she's visiting, the Prophet said, it's her brother-in-law and it's the new wife of her brother-in-law. So she came to visit. And then when she left, saying, Aisha, she came to the Prophet and so Umut Munin said, Aisha, she came to the Prophet and she said, why were you so happy when you heard her voice? <laughs> she didn't like it. And then she said that you were living with this young beauty like myself and you still remember that old woman. <laughs> that's what she said. That's fine, also in her own right. She could say that, that you're still remembering her. So he said to her, this is the devotion that Sayyidina Rasulullah had. Allah Akbar. He said, Ya Aisha, when my own people were an enemy towards me, she supported me. Ya Aisha, Allah Ta'ala has put a love for her in my heart that there is nothing you can do to take it away from me. Allahu Akbar Kabira. This is Sunnah. This is Sunnah Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is the Sunnah devotion a man should have to his wife. Allahu Akbar. 
I felt Allah Ta'ala put such a love for her in my heart, there's nothing you can do to take it away from me. And you contrast to all the other hadith, Sayyidina Rasulullah is always playfully indulging Umm Aisha and just always saying yes to her, mostly. Here he put his foot down. Allah Akbar Kabira. Subhanallah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is the Sunnah devotion. This is the Sunnah devotion to the first wife. Sayyidina Rasulullah gave devotion to his wife. Here are so many stories about his love and devotion for Umm Al-Mineen Sayyidina Khadija Al-Badiyadana. You must all clear. Time is too short. Then we said what? That a woman needs? Trust? let me switch a man so we give you what a man needs a man needs acceptance right so story of Sayyidina because this is the story that we're going to do next story of Sayyidina Abul As who is he so Sayyidina Rasulullah had his daughter Zainab and his daughter Zainab daughter from Umm Mu'neem Khadija so daughter Zainab and she got married to her cousin before the Prophet's Nabuwa was manifested. That's how we say it with Adam. Before Nabiya came from Islam's prophethood was manifested. It means before the advent, formal advent of Islam. So the husband was a non-believer. When Sayyidina Rasulullah made hijrah, he was still a non-believer. So Sayyidina Zainab, the daughter of the Prophet, she remained behind in Makkah Mukarramah and did not make hijrah. Allahu Akbar, look at the devotion. Look how much she's showing her husband that I accept you the way you are. Inside she hadn't accepted him. Inside it was her dream that he accept Iman. It was probably her nightly though. Imagine the daughter of the Prophet being married to an unbeliever. Can you imagine what an awkward situation this creates? Right? So deep down she wanted, but she wanted to show him that she still loves and accepted him. She remained behind in Makkah Mukarramah after the Hijrah. Then what happened was that Abul As, he went with the army to Badr, army of Kufar. And he fought in the battle of Badr and he was one of those kuffar who was captured, one of the prisoners of war. So you may remember your sirah, Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sahaba decided that we will ransom off the prisoners of war. We will take money, right? Because these people are clearly using money to arm themselves and we need money to defend ourselves so they can buy their prisoners back from us. So this message reached Makkah Mukarramah from the Prophet of Medina Manawrat that we have captured so many 70 of your prisoners and you can ransom them off. So then the Sahaba Ikram, they gathered all of the ransom money that came and they presented it to Sayyidina Rasulullah And then what happened was that Sayyidina Rasulullah saw that in that ransom money there was the necklace and he recognized that was the necklace that he had given to Umm Mu'mineen Sayyidina Khadija when they were married and she had given it to their daughter Sayyidina Zainab when she got married. So means Sayyidina Zainab offered her mother's necklace that her father gave. Now for an ordinary father and mother, even this is a big thing. And when your father is Sayyidina Rasulullah and your mom, mother is Ummu Mu'mineen Sayyidina Khadija Al-Kubra But that's how much she was devoted to her kafir husband who had gone out in Badr to try to kill her prophet father. Yes, she sent that necklace. So when Sayyidina Rasulullah saw that necklace because he had so much love for Khadija so tears came to his eyes so the Sahaba couldn't understand and she asked him what happened to you? And they said that actually this necklace uh, is 
you know, that necklace. And then the Sahaba quickly made a decision amongst themselves and they told the Prophet that all of us, we waive our right to the share of ransom in the amount of this necklace. We want to gift you back this necklace. Allah Akbar. So much devotion. Care that he sent Abul As back to her. He sent Abul As back to her. Then what happened? Then Abul As, uh, then Sayyidina told Abul As that when you go back, I want you to send my daughter to me. Because now this is too much. You know, after Badr, things have changed now. You see, Badr was the first military expedition waged by the Kufar of Makkah Makarama. So things changed. So now Sayyidina you should send her back. Send her to me. So Abul As sent her. Sent her. He listened and he sent Zainab to Sayyidina Rasulullah. Then what happened was that later on, the Sahaba Ikram, what they used to do, this was a particular tactic, they used to attack the caravans. You can consider like the supply lines uh, that the Kufar were the trade caravans between Makkah Makarama and Sham. So one day, one of the caravans were from Abul As. So they attacked his caravan. So then Sayyidina Rasulullah, he called Abul As over and he told them that, Oh Abul As. And then again he asked the Sahaba, and he told the Sahaba that is it possible you can return his wealth of your own voluntary volition? They said, yes. So the Prophet called Abu Las and said that I told you to send my daughter to me and you sent her to me. I'm grateful to you. Allah Akbar. Look how the Prophet is treating a kafir son-in-law. Allah Akbar. I told you to send my daughter to me and you did send her and I'm grateful to you. And then yes, my companions, they attacked your caravan. I'm re- they took your wealth, I'm returning your wealth to you. So Abul As was so affected by this, he went back to Makkah he returned all of the money, because it was investment, these caravans were joined, he gave it to everyone, and then he announced, listen, O people of Makkah, I've accepted Iman, and I've become Muslim. And then he migrated to Medina Munawwara and became the real son-in-law of Sayyidina Rasulullah, and he became Sayyidina Abul As, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. So this is an example of the wife. The example we were giving you from Sira was the wife's acceptance of the husband. If you accept your husband, it can work wonders. Look at the sunnah of Sayyidatana Zainab anha. Look at the level of acceptance she gave her husband. Look at the acceptance her father gave her husband. And then that was a means of the husband changing. Then we already gave you the example we said that the one thing we said that the husband needs praise also. So we give you that example yesterday. Ummu Muminin said, Aisha, when the Prophet said to her, you're more dear to me than oh, butter and dates. So she said, yes, and you're more dear to me than butter and honey. Means she's praising the Prophet She's showing her praise and appreciation and love for the Prophet Then we said that the oh, wife should give support to the husband even when the husband outwardly maybe makes a decision that seems not to be in the best interest, right? So what happened once that Sayyidina Ali and Sayyidina Fatima were very poor and he had to work hard manual labor, hard manual labor and get daily wages that were enough just to put the most basic humble meal on the table. So one day he did this and Sayyidina Fatima, she made some basic food and then a sa'il means a beggar came and Sayyidina Susam gave him all the food. Now if it was a wife today, she would say, what's the matter with you? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> We've been hungry all day. Finally you got work, you're giving all the food away. But she didn't do that. Support. She didn't do that. Support. And this didn't just happen one day. It happened one day. It happened a second day. It happened a third day. Three days it happened. 
And this is that place when Allah subhanahu wa revealed that ayah oh, that they feed the needy Allah hubbihi out of the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala revealed an ayah. He was so happy about this amal of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. But Sayyidina Fatima, she supported, she supported. Another example we gave you was encouragement, right? So the wife should encourage, right? So that was the example of Umm bin Aisha when she told the Prophet Right? Not that the Prophet made an incorrect decision, but a kind of blunder occurred that you want to go for Umrah and Allah to go for the Kufar stops you. You have to go back and break your ihram. So she encouraged him, she guided him, she counseled him, she gave him a way out. That I explained to you before. So what does this mean? That the husband and wife should live a life of Sira and Sunnah. Now we give you examples, everything's already there in the Sira and Sunnah. Right? This way we just showed you. We showed you the emotional, psychological things. And we discussed it to you from common sense and then we showed all of it to you from the Sahaba and the Prophet means the easy way is the simple way. Just make your life entirely like the Sunnah and the Sahaba. Everything will automatically fall into place. And if we're not ready to have that level of taqwa and taharat and deen, then we need workshop and we need point by point numbers and explanations and techniques and tips and strategies. That's the long way. That's the difficult way. That's what we're doing. So we more and more the husband and wife follow the sunnah, the more and more they are like the sahaba and sabiyat, the more and more they will have that true mawadda and rahmah, the more and more they will be more happily married. Alright. Now, we're going to talk about the investment and the communication. Remember we said every relationship is based on investment. One of the things we said in the morning in the first session First session that we did with you. So the example of investment normally our Mashai give is that of a gardener. That the gardener invests in his plant, then the plant will bear fruit and flower. Invest means he puts the seed underneath the ground. At that moment nobody even knows the seed is there. They trample that ground with their shoes, but the gardener knows it's there. The gardener is always watering that ground. He's putting fertilizer and nutrients in that ground. Then the ground, will, the seed will sprout as a seedling from that ground. Then the gardener again, maybe he transplants it into a pot, puts it in the nursery, putting it into the sunlight, spraying it with pesticide, adding fertilizer, always investing, investing, investing in that plant. Then may re-transplant it back into the ground when it becomes more of a sapling. Then he will put a stick in it so that it can grow erect and wrap its vines around. He will trim the leaves that have rot in it, lest the rot spread to another place in the plant. The more and more he invests in it, the more and more fruits and flowers he will get. So we should view ourselves like the gardener of our marriage. We have to tend to the garden of this marriage. If we want this marriage to bear us fruits and flowers, we have to both husband and wife be co-tenders, tend to be co-caretakers, Gardeners of this marriage. Husband and wife also have to learn then in part of their caretaking. Like the gardener, he is so skilled he is able to read the body language of the plant. He can tell by the way the plant is growing that something is wrong. He can tell by the angle in which the plant is growing if something is wrong. He can tell by the hues and colors of the leaves or the petals and the flowers whether something is wrong. So by also being a gardener means 
to be extremely aware, to be in tune, to be attuned to the other person. This is very important. Many times the husband and wife are not even able to read one another's body language, one another's expressions, one another's words. Sometimes a person wants to express something. They can't say it in so many words. They can't say it in so many words. So the wife should be attuned to the needs of the husband. The ideal level is to be so tuned to the needs of the person that you understand what they want or need even before they express themselves. That's the ultimate goal. Yes, that can happen even. That can even happen. Right? And sometimes some, some people who may have that relationship know that that happens. Sometimes the wife can tell without you even having opening your mouth. Sometimes the husband can tell what's going on without the wife even having to say something. She can pick it up. That's finely tuned. But that is up to us if we want. We have that niya, we have that intention, we give that attention. And sometimes the husband also makes the mistake that he's not able to translate her expressions. He doesn't know what exactly she's trying to say. Sometimes he doesn't understand her signal. And sometimes the wife does not understand what the husband is trying to say doesn't understand uh, his signal. So, there is a very famous hadith in Sahih Bukhari, which is very well known amongst the scholars of hadith. It's known as hadith of Umm Zara. Abu Zara, this is the hadith of Umm Zara, who was a woman who was originally married to Abu Zara. And, uh, and I even remember when we did this in the Madrasa. Because a very, here when you do it in detail, there's a lot of interesting things that the ulama mentioned about the city. So, what happened was that Sayyidina Rasulullah once told a story to say that the Aisha about 12 women. And what was that story? So, Umm Aisha narrates that the Prophet said the story like this. That once 11 women got together for a lunch. The 12th is Sayyidina Aisha. Once 11 women got together for lunch. Some gathering. They got together for a gathering and a meal. And what did they do? Each one of them said that today we're going to talk about our husband. It's from the Bani Israel. This is the story of the Bani Israel. We're going to talk about our husband openly and clearly and see whose husband is like what. So the first woman, she said that my husband is like the camel on top of the mountain. There is no easy path and he is heavy and fat. He's like the camel on the top of the mountain. What does she mean? It's not easy to climb up there to reach him. Right? And he is heavy and fat. He does not climb down. So here she was trying to say something else. Anyway, which was hidden in her words. But he's on top of the mountain and he's heavy and fat. It's no easy pass. There's no way for me to reach him. And he's heavy and fat. He doesn't come down. Second woman, she said that I'm not going to spread the news of my husband. What if he leaves me? So, she didn't say anything, but by saying that she said a lot, right? That obviously there's some things that are not good, and there's also a fear that were he to find out, and there's also a danger that he's the type of person who would leave her, right? Okay, so that's also saying something. Third one said that if I speak, he will give me a divorce, but if I keep quiet, he will keep me. What does it mean? Not to them, he's saying that at home, so I don't speak. This is what my husband is like. So what does it mean? She's saying, now this is an example, the Mohandasin said, this is what it means to read between the lines. The words she said, if I speak, he will divorce me. If I keep quiet, he will keep me. What does it mean? She's saying that he's short-tempered. I can't communicate with him. If I say anything, he gets angry with me. 
He may even get angry to the point of divorce. So my only solution now, I've realized it to be quiet. That's what she's saying. But the only word she said is, if I speak, he will divorce me. And if I keep quiet, he will keep me. The fourth woman, she said that my husband is just like the cool spring night. However, I'm still afraid of him. What does that mean? So the Mahadisin wrote that cool spring night means that he was balanced, just well-mannered husband. And she felt very comfortable with him. But she didn't know how to express that, so she gave the example of the cool spring night. But at the same time, he still had his robe. He still had his robe. You understand? He still had his jalal. So she still was in awe of him. Fifth woman, she said, that my husband is like a lion on the outside. My husband is like a lion on the outside. But he's uh, generous on the inside. So what does it mean? It means that when he was outside, he was a very strong, dominant personality. But he was inside his home. He was very kind and generous and soft and gracious with his family. But outside in society, he was like a lion. He had respect for his vigor and dignity and strength and stamina. He had an awe-inspiring nature. People respected him like a lion. Sixth woman said that my husband eats all the food and drinks all the water. And when he lies down and sleeps, he drools while he sleeps. And he doesn't even inquire about his partner. So here you can understand what that is, right? So that means the husband was so busy with himself and her. Seventh woman, she said, that my husband is either astray or he's incapable. He has all the faults in the world. My husband can scratch someone and wound someone very easily. What did this mean? So, what she meant was that my husband is very argumentative. And either he's arguing people because he's astray or he's always arguing because he's incapable of proper, wise speech. And he's always, his words are always hurting people. Eighth woman, she said that my husband is soft like a rabbit. My husband is soft like a rabbit and is fragrant like summer grass. So what does it mean when you touch a rabbit's fur? It's soft and delicate fur. So what she was saying that she felt her husband was very handsome and he was fragrant like summer grass. Ninth woman said that my husband is very tall and generous. Very tall and very generous. At his home, people always come... At, my husband is very tall and very generous. So what was the nature of that husband? That he was a person who was very known in society and people would always come to him for advice and counsel and help. So by tall, he wasn't physically tall. But she meant he's very well known in society and he's known for being somebody who helps and advises everyone. Tenth woman, she said that my husband's name is Malik and he is beyond any praise whatsoever and I won't be able to praise him. There are lesser animals in the field and more animals at home for slaughter. But whenever a guest comes, he would always slaughter one of her own animals at home, especially for the guest. And that's one particular way she mentioned the praise of her husband. The eleventh woman, she said that my husband's name was Abu Zara. And he has adorned my ears with earrings. And he loves me despite that I came from a very poor family, but he was very rich. And he kept me in a rich home. If I slept, he wouldn't even say anything to me. He kept me with love like a queen. When I used to drink water, I could drink as much as I want. When I wanted to eat, I would eat as much as I want. My son is also very nice. And my husband's daughter is very nice. So what happened then? One day Abu Zara left his house to milk the cows. And he saw a woman with two children.
it's a long story, right? Let me just abbreviate this, right? But a very long story. The end of the story is a bit sad because she praises Abu Zara so much, but the end of the story is that Abu Zara ends up leaving her for a long story of a reason. And then he leaves her. Uh, but she, And then she gets remarried and she has a second husband. But she says that whatever Abu Zara gave me, if I were to gather all of what my second husband gave me, it would not even equal the slightest drop of what Abu Zara gave me. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah told Aisha, at the end of the story, she's the twelfth woman, that, oh Aisha, I am for you like Abu Zara was for Umm Zara. The only difference is that Abu Zara divorced his wife and I will never ever divorce you. So what did she say about him? That he treats me like a queen. This I did for you on day one. Right? Woman, treat husband like king, he will keep you like queen. Man, you treat your wife like a queen, she will treat you like a king. Keep her like a queen, she will treat you like a king. So this long hadith shows, number one, that women, the first reason why I mention this here is that women speak in symbols. Women speak in symbolic language. They don't always speak explicitly and clearly. And the man sometimes need to look and read between the lines. Another thing that we saw here was the assurance. Sayyidina Rasulullah gave her the assurance that I will never divorce you. That's also sunnah. It's a sunnah thing to say to one's wife. Hey, something. This is a sunnah thing to say to one's wife. Sayyidina Rasulullah said it to his wife, O Manin, saying that Aisha was the Anha. And what is he saying when he says to her that I'm like Abu Zara was to Umm Zara? means it's sunnah to say to one's wife that I will keep you like a queen. I will keep you like a queen and I will never ever divorce you. To say that to one's wife is sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah That covers all, everything that we said. That is the honor, that is the respect, that is the assurance, that covers the whole list. That was Sayyidina Rasulullah, he was such a kamal, and such a perfect, uh, such a perfect uh, nabi, and such a perfect husband, and a perfect everything. Okay, now... Uh, and a lot of this, by the way, and I was going to tell you at the end, but I feel like telling you now in the middle, almost everything I'm telling you is things that we learn from our own shaykh. Maybe one or odd example or hadith I may have added. The vast majority of this we've learned from our own shaykh. Well, I will explain that to you more towards the end. So now, if you want to see this language of women, what we say is read between the lines. So now the woman should understand, the man can understand the women's words. When the woman says, we never go out. Wife says to her husband, we never ever go out. Husband responds and says, we just went out a few months ago. Why are you lying? Right? Actually, when the wife says that we never go out, she's not speaking literally. She's speaking symbolically, metaphorically, figuratively. She doesn't speak literally. She doesn't think literally. Right? When she says we never go out, it means that we haven't been out for some time, I, my need of leaving the house is not being fulfilled at the level that I need. That's what she's saying. But the way she's going to express it to you is we never go out. So, and you don't treat her words on face value because then you understand, you'd be confused. We just went out a few months ago. We just went out three weeks ago. Right? That's not what she's saying. When she's saying we never go out, she's saying take me out. That's, we have to retranslate the word. You need English to English translation for a woman. You need a translator. Yes. <laughs> so when she says, we never go out, it means, please take me out. Next, wife says that everybody ignores me. Doesn't mean everybody ignores her. 
What it means is she's saying, so the husband says to her, I don't ignore you. That's not the answer. When she says, everybody ignores me, what she's saying is, hey, I need attention now. She says, everybody ignores me. But what she's saying is, I need attention now. Woman says, this house is always a mess. Husband says, it's not always a mess. That's not what she's saying. When she says, this house is always such a mess, she's saying, I need you to make it tidy now. Right? You have to translate. Translate the sentence. The woman says, nobody ever listens to me. The husband responds, I listen to you sometimes. Right? That's not the answer. When she says, nobody ever listens to me, what she means is, listen to me now. <laughs> listen to me now. This is, the, this is called, with all due respect to the women, this is called melodrama. Being melodramatic. Right? This is a tendency in women. This is a tendency. It's not lying. It's not deliberate exaggeration. That's the way they are. That's the way they are. So what does it mean? She's not giving factual historical statements. When she says we never ever go out, now what should the husband hear? When she says we never ever go out, what she's trying to say is I like spending time with you. That's what she's saying. When she says we never ever go out, actually what she's saying is I like and need to spend time with you. That's what she's trying to say. I miss spending time with you. That's what she's trying to say. Now if the, if the husband could translate that, he would be happy. Oh, why she's saying she wants to spend time with me, she misses me. But he doesn't translate it. He hears we never go out, he gets upset. What do you mean we never go out? You have to translate it. You have to translate it. Then she says that uh, everybody ignores me. What she's trying to say is that you've gotten so involved in your job, in your business, in your life, and whatever that you do, that I don't even know. I don't even know if you're coming, you're going, you're here, you're not here, you're going to come at five, you're going to come at seven. I don't know anything. Right? So don't take it literally. What does it mean? She's saying that what she's trying to say to him is don't spend too much time at work. Don't give everything else a higher priority than me. Alright, so the other ones I already retranslated for you. The next thing the wife says, she says that there is no point in me saying anything anymore. There is no point in me saying anything anymore. So, <laughs> depending on the husband, he may have different reactions to the sentence, right? He said, there's no point in me saying anything anymore. Reaction one, promise? <laughs> it's a deal. <laughs> it's a deal. <laughs> right? <laughs> that could be one reaction. No, when she says there's no point in me saying anything anymore, what she's trying to say is, it's not your words that are going to help me, it's your actions that are going to help me. There's no point in me trying to say anything anymore, the matter is going to be resolved by action, by affection, not by words and argumentation and explanation. That's what she's trying to say. Now the person doesn't realize it. The husband thinks, okay, he says a, he says a hundred words in response. He's trying to bring her back. He says a whole paragraph in response. But she's trying to say it's not about words anymore. Right? I don't want your words, I want your love. That's what she's saying. 
you can say the biggest essay back in response, it's not going to work. She's saying, I don't want your words, I want your love. That's what she's trying to say. Right? Okay. Then, flip side, men and women, because they're different, their ability to handle stress is different. The nature of a man is a man is like a turtle. When a man, the way he responds to stress is he just withdraws into himself. Some men who have this in a bad way, they just start sleeping. They just go into a room. They run away, escapism. Withdrawal or escape. This is the way they handle the stress. So sometimes they think, sometimes when the wife and the husband get into an argument, the husband doesn't know how to deal, so he just, he just goes, just to be alone. I just want to be alone. Just leave me alone. I just want to be alone. I need my own time. Just give me some space. Right? This is the way a man is. This is the way a man is. This is how he is. Right? Now, when there's a stressful situation. On some sense, in some sense, not saying specifically about the wife's argument, but in some sense, this is Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam and Sunnah of Salihin. When Ashabi Kahaf saw a stressful situation in the society, they said, we just want to be alone. We go for khalwa, we go for seclusion, we go into the cave, we want to be alone, we want to escape from this, we want to withdraw from this. So even this is Sifat of the Salihin, and Sifat of Sayyidina Rasulullah, he saw us on the same way. When he saw the fitna of Jahiliyyah, he wanted to escape. So he withdrew to the cave in Mount Hira. Escape and withdraw. Men are like a turtle. Men are like a turtle. Right? Okay. Now, another example of this is Sayyidina Rasulullah from his sunnah. When there's another time, so when a sorrow affected him, and this is that sorrow that when Sayyidina Rasulullah was shown the punishment of his ummah in Jahannam. And he retreated. And three days passed. He just would come and lead Salah and go inside. He did not speak to any single one of his Sahaba. And Sahaba Khan didn't know. And after three days passed, Sayyidina Umar, Sayyidina Ali, Sayyidina Bakr, they got together and they couldn't understand and they couldn't handle seeing Sayyidina Rasulullah in such grief. And then so when they asked the Prophet and he told them that actually this is what I saw. Angel Jibreel, he showed me my own Ummah being punished in Jahannam. And it put me in such a state of sorrow that I withdrew, even from you, my Sahaba. Allahu Akbar. Look at the love Sayyidina Rasulullah had for his Ummah. Look at the compassion he had. That's the compassion we're supposed to have if we ever see anyone, Muslim or non-Muslim, doing something that is displeasing to the Rabb. It should give us such sorrow and grief. It's a tragedy of epic proportion. So Sayyidina Rasulullah is the Jew from his own beloved Sahaba. So this is the way a man is. Sometimes he needs to individually cope and deal with his own sorrow and grief. Now what happens is the woman, she doesn't understand this. Because that's not how the woman is. When the woman is in her state of sorrow, she doesn't withdraw. She doesn't escape. She doesn't want to be left alone to cope with it on her own. She's the complete opposite. She's the complete opposite. Don't leave me alone. Stay by me. I want to talk about it. I need to share it with you. I need to vent it. I need to unload it. I need to offload it. Complete opposite way of dealing with stress, difficulty, grief and sorrow. Completely opposite. Completely opposite. So when does the mistake happen? When the wife expects from the man how she would have acted. So what happens is the man needs some time alone. She doesn't realize this. Right? 
she does, so she starts probing him. So what's the matter? What's the matter? And he's quiet. He clams up. He doesn't. He can't express it because that's the way a man is. Again, not hundred percent. Every man is always like this, right? But many times, many men are like this. He can't explain. Now what happens to the wife? Starts thinking. I don't know. He's not talking to me. He's not sharing me. He's not telling me. He's saying, just leave me alone, give me time, give me space, everything will be fine in a few days. What's going on? Now, then, shaitan sends waswasa into her mind. When she asks the question, what's going on, shaitan tries to answer for her. Maybe he's having an affair. Maybe something's going on behind the scenes. He starts putting shuck in her mind, starts putting doubt in her mind. Right? Maybe he's alone because he's secretly talking to somebody alone on the phone. Maybe he's saying, just don't ask about what's going on because something's going on. Right? So then when she gets that doubt, then she tries to draw him out even more forcefully. Then she goes to him and insists, tell me what's going on. Right? And he was actually just trying to deal with the situation. Maybe something happened at work, something. Right? He just needed, he generally just needed a bit of space, a bit of time, a bit of privacy. But the wife cannot afford that. So instead of drawing, instead of trying to draw him out into a conversation with you, Understand that this is the nature of the man. Give him that space and go and sit on your musalla and make dua for him, pray salatul hajjah for him, do tawakkul Allah, inabat ilallah, ruju ilallah, turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask Allah ta'ala to rectify whatever difficulty that he is going through. When the woman is upset, completely different. When she is upset, she doesn't withdraw, she starts broadcasting. Global broadcast service begins. Anyone and everyone who is subscribed to her channel, she is going to tell about her worries. One phone after the other, she'll call one friend, tell her, second friend, tell her, third friend, tell her. Opposite way of dealing with stress. Opposite way of dealing with stress. That's acceptable. I mean, to an extent, right? This is an acceptable. A man consoles himself by dealing with his grief individually. A woman consoles herself by sharing and exchanging her griefs and sorrows with others. Is different nature. Different nature between men and women. So we have to learn how to understand the language of the other gender. We have to learn how to understand the feelings of the other gender. So what does this mean? So the summary of this all is that when a woman talks, her real message is sometimes hidden between the lines, in between the words. Second, if the husband is not skilled enough to read between the lines and understand the real message, then things get worse because when the message is not communicated, the message is not understood. Third is if a man ever gets quiet, withdraws, you should give him a bit of space. Then within one or two days, inshallah, he will himself come to you and say, I miss you. I need you. I love you. Right? You may sometimes need to give him that one or two days of space to do that. Meanwhile, the woman should make dua to Allah and the man, when he sees the wife is in a state of stress, he shouldn't do chaos on himself. He shouldn't tell her what's the matter with you. You're calling every friend. You should just deal with it on your own. You shouldn't. No, she's not you. <laughs> she's not going to deal with it the way you would deal with it. You're a man. That's not how she deals with it. She's a woman. You can't do that. You can't tell her, stop telling everyone, stop discussing, stop talking, stop complaining, stop whining. That's how she is. She's going to broadcast her grief, share her grief, exchange her grief. So then what should the man do in that situation? So just like we said, the wife should give the husband the space that he needs, the husband should give his wife the ear that she needs. He should say, change, tell me. Share it with me. 
broadcast it with me. I should be number one on your list. Why? You don't need to call anybody else. You tell me. Husbands never think like that. We never do that. Right? Because we think she should be dealing with the way she, we did. That we do. So the husband should go to the wife and tell her that, look, I want you to share it with me. I want you to tell me. You should reach out to her so that she doesn't reach out to anyone else. And again, remember, like I told you, when the husband is negligent, and if he doesn't reach out to the wife, and what if somewhere out there in the society some other man reaches out to her? Right? Also be careful. Also be careful. Right? Alright. So here we're going to take a break. And... Um, is that right? Is it time for your break or not yet? No? We go to four? Oh, okay. We keep going. Alright. Stay in your seats. Not happy. Keep going. Alright. Okay. Some responsibilities. Now, we haven't talked about responsibilities. I can do this a bit briefly. I'll still let you go early before four, inshallah. In a man's life, there are some responsibilities. Some responsibilities. And in a woman's life, there are some responsibilities. The husband and wife also have to give space to each other to fulfill those responsibilities that Allah found in the Sharia has placed upon them. Number one in a man's life responsibility is earning risky halal. Kasbi halal. Earning halal risk. This is his responsibility. The wife has to understand that. She has to acknowledge that. She has to realize that. And in the course of this responsibility, sometimes, yes, it may be over time. Sometimes he may be running late. Sometimes he may not pick up the phone. This is part of his responsibility. It's something he does have to do. He does have to do. Second responsibility is hukukul ibad. But yes, Allah Ta'ala has placed the primary responsibility of caretaking of parents on the son. Yes, Allah Ta'ala has placed it on the son. So it doesn't mean he's negligent of you. It doesn't mean he's preferring his mother over you. But it's a haq. It's a right that Allah Ta'ala has placed in his mother over him. It's a responsibility that he has to do. He has to do it. You have to give him the space and understand that this is something he simply must do. And sometimes, yes, sometimes those rights over him, those responses may make him out of the home a little bit longer. Maybe he spends a weekend with his mom when you would rather have him home. Maybe it was the very weekend that you had planned your great outing. Sometimes, sometimes that will happen. Sometimes it's out of his control because these are things that he must do. Must do. Third is also hukukullah. There are some rights of Allah spawned over him that he must do. There's some that are recommended for him to do. I'm not talking about that. Some that he must do. So yes, he, he should go to the masjid for salah and congregation. Right? Barring certain conditions, if he's traveling, he's unwell or other certain things. Right? But by the norm, he should go. You can't tell him that, no, look, you're always going for a maghrib, you're always going for a show, you're never home with the kids. This is not a statement you can say to him. Yes, you could say you go to maghrib and you stay there for 40 minutes, I know you're chatting with your friends, pray salah and come back, that you can say to him. That's fine, right? That's perfectly acceptable. That Isha Jamaat is at 8.30 and you come home every night at 10, right? That's acceptable. But you cannot say to him that don't go to the masjid. No, this is from the hukukullah, the rights of Allah Ta'ala on him. These are his responsibilities. These are things that he must do. Next comes an area which is not must do, but it's a thing that for some of the men they need to do, 
Not must do, they need to do. What's the difference? They need to do for their own salvation. What is that? That is sometimes being in good company, getting ilm of deen, doing the extra ibadat and zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes the man needs that for his salvation. So I want to explain this. And it's going to be true for the women also. I'm going to come to that. What does it mean? So there's two types of zikr. And by zikr I'm using it in the loose sense. All nafl ibadah, I'm just calling that zikr right now. Alright? All nafl ibadah, I'm just calling that zikr. There are two senses in which a person does zikr. One is that zikr that we need to do for our tazkiyah. Tazkiyah means our spiritual purification. To stay away from sin. That zikr that we need for tazkiyah, that zikr is fard. Then there's another type of zikr. And that is that zikr that we do to get closer to Allah Santa for qurb. That zikr is strongly recommended, but it's not required. What does that mean? So if the husband knows about himself, that look, if I don't spend this time in zikr, I don't go to that gathering, what I see in myself is I start sinning. The day I didn't do the zikr, I sinned. The day I didn't do the zikr, I misdirected my gaze. The day I, week I didn't go to the gathering, I had a lapse in taqwa. So that means that for this man, that zikr, that gathering, is what is keeping them away from sin, what they need to stay away from sin, because staying away from sin is fard. Whatever you need to do for a fard is wajib on you. That's why the ulama have written that the person who cannot wake up naturally for fajr, setting the alarm clock is wajib. Not nothing. Because waking up for fajr is fard. And what you need to do to do that fard, that's called wajib. So that means that some level of zikr, engagement in deen, and there are many ways to do that. Many ways to do that. Some maybe with ulama, some maybe with zakirin, some maybe with dawa. Many ways to do that. But to a certain extent, if the man needs that to stay away from sin, that deeny activity is wajib for him. This, however, is that one responsibility that does not universally trump, whereas the first three did, hukukullah, hukukulibad, and the farad amount of earning a living, that universally trumps the family rights. The second one has to be balanced with family rights. It doesn't mean for the sake of ilm and zikr and tabliq and dawah, you're leaving the family completely stranded, no time with the children, not being a proper father. Allah Ta'ala puts barakah sometimes. I mean, you may think, look who's talking, right? Allah Ta'ala puts barakah, we may do things secretly unbeknown to you. Right? Here, don't worry what I'm talking about. But, uh, you have to balance it. You have to balance it with your family. You have to balance it with the family. What does balance mean? Balance doesn't mean some fixed equilibrium. Balance, like we say in English, not balance means give and take. What does it mean? Yes, the husband should know that sometimes you have to take time away from being in with your sheikh or being with the alim or being in tabliq or being with dawah or being in some extra gathering or being in a session Sometimes you have to take some time away from that and give it to your family. And sometimes it's the other around. Sometimes you may have to take some time away from your family and give it to your development on deen. Balance means give and take, but it has to be give and take on both. So when it does happen that sometimes he takes some time from the family and gives it to deen, the wife should realize that this is something he needs. And if he becomes better and stronger on deen, he will become a better husband with me. If he goes to that activity and becomes better and stronger, and then he will become a better father for my children. But not always. 
Not always. Not always will that be the case. Is that clear? Alright. Then on the flip side, there's the women's responsibilities. Women's responsibilities. The husband has to realize, same thing with the woman, that there's certain things he must do and there's certain things she needs to do. And he cannot want her, in whatever sense I'm just saying, he cannot want her time in clash of these things. So the first thing that she must do is also Hukukullah. Hukukullah, right? Sometimes it happens, just to give you, I mean, it's an example. It's a good example, you understand. So a woman has not yet prayed her Isha. Let her pray her Isha. Right? Because this is Hukukullah. Don't put her in that position where it becomes very difficult to pray Isha. Don't put her in that. Hukukullah come first. Hukukullah come first, you should have sabr. Alright? Know that she has her Hukukullah to fulfill. That's just one example, then all of you should know what the basic faraid and wajibat and deen are. Second is Hukukullibad. She also has rights of people over her. First and foremost is the rights of her children over her. Yes, she has to take care of the children. And yes, if the child has a fever, she needs to sleep with the child. She needs to let the child sleep with her. That's part of her hukukul ibad. This is part of her responsibility, her duty. She must do it. She must do it. Other hukukul ibad is yes, that even if she's married to you, her parents still have some rights over here. Yes, less than the rights they have over a son. But does it mean that you can think she can never ever visit her parents? That's also part of her hukukul ibad. So her visitation and spending time with her own parents or even her own sister, siblings, etc., nieces, children of her brother, children of her sister, within some reason, right? But to a certain level, it even falls under hukukulibad. So women also had these two things, hukukullah, hukukulibad. Men had one thing which was earning the livelihood. So for here, the woman is managing the house. And the women should also hear this as well. It's her responsibility. I'm not going to technical, thick arguments here. It's her role. It's her responsibility. So yes, if the wife has to do something for the house, you have to realize that, that this is her responsibility. You must give her the space to do that. You must give her the space to do that. And then the last thing, which was similar, but is a bit less in the case of the wife, is that her need also for some development in deeds to develop her taqwa, her sunnah, her tawakkul, her iman, her yaqeen, whether that through is ilm, that is through zikr. But for a woman, this is a bit less. Now, what does this mean? A woman needs taqwa as much as a man. But her being able to take out time for that is sometimes, many times, not always, but not sometimes, many times less than that of a man. Right? Because she's so busy with the children, so busy with the household tasks. Right? That's why, alhamdulillah, we have now and the world of online learning, whether it's ourselves or many other people, offering classes for women in their own home, right? So now, if it's that case that the ulama, and many, many people, not just myself, have come up with this way, right? So now the husband should be more accommodating, that okay, before, I was a bit concerned, you're going to go to the mother's house half an hour away, and then you spend three, four hours a day, then you come back half an hour, so the kids are without you for four solid hours, it's concerning to me, Right? But now husband should be more lenient and say, okay, what's the computers in the home? You're not going anywhere. You're not out of the house. The kids are still around you. Yes, they're in the background. But maybe, you know, you can manage both. If you feel you can manage it, it's fine by me. Husband should be more accommodating. Because yes, this is also a need. 
Maybe the woman is the same way that when I don't study my ilm or I don't do my zikr or don't do my ibadah or whatever way she is slugged herself into, into developing her deen, she says, I don't feel anything in my prayer. I start backbiting. My tongue becomes loose again. So that means for her the zikr had become wajib. If these gatherings and those practices and that worship and those prayers is what stopped her tongue from backbiting, then it's wajib for her to keep doing that. Wajib. Alright? So these are the responsibilities of a man and woman. Both the men and women must understand the responsibilities of the other. And as husband and wife, give them the space for that. So now we will take the break and we'll meet you back in about 15 minutes. Inshallah.